0: Good morning, faith family. If you have a Bible, turn to Hebrews chapter 13. Let me say hello to those gathered in Lakeville and in our sanctuary service. Uh, This morning, uh, we finally get to the conclusion of the series we've been in, uh, I think, since uh, last fall. I think we started the book of Hebrews. And for several months, uh, we've been in this series called No Going Back. And this morning, uh, we will conclude that series here in Hebrews 13. While you're turning there, let me just kind of give you a a little bit of a teaser for the next series. Uh, Two weeks from this weekend, Lord willing, we're starting A series called All Sides of the Savior. And uh, there's a lot of different stories in the Gospels about Jesus. Uh, we have four different gospel writers that give us different perspectives of Jesus's life. And um, a lot of times it's easy to kind of navigate towards those stories that we like. You know, Jesus uh, helping those in need, Jesus receiving children, things like that. But you know, there are other stories about Jesus and his humanity, like turning over the tables in the temple and having righteous anger Uh, And and so in order for us to really know who Jesus is, we need to look at all sides of the Savior and take an in-depth look into the humanity of Jesus. And and so this is going to be a series that's really going to help us understand more of who Jesus really is. Now, you might say, well, what would that have to do with my life? Well, first of all, just knowing more of Jesus is enough. Amen? But let me ask you this. Show of hands, how many of you are human beings? Show of hands. Okay, good. Most of you are. That's a, that's an encouragement. Well, Jesus is the ultimate human, and so as we study his humanity, we actually begin to discover how his life intersects with our life, with our humanity, and so there's emotions that we feel and things that we experience where we can encounter Jesus in our everyday life, and so we're going to know more about Jesus, but also see how that intersects with our daily life, and so that's what we're going to start two weeks from this weekend all sides of the Savior. And I'm, I'm, as always with the new series, excited about that. A little sad this morning to end the book of Hebrews. It has been such an amazing uh, series and challenging our faith uh, to not go back, but to keep pressing forward uh, in Christ. And so we come to Hebrews 13 now um, it's a difficult chapter because it kind of seems to be random as you just read through the chapter, but I believe here in the middle we find the main idea that the author is trying to finish this book with, and it is it is just an exclamation mark for them, and it's going to make us really think about our life as a Christian right now in the world in which we live, in the very culture in which God has placed us. So I hope that you're here and open to what God has to say to you this morning. Let's look at Hebrews 13, beginning at verse 9. I'll ask all that are able to please stand for the reading of God's word. Hebrews 13, beginning at verse 9. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp, bear the reproach that he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek a city that is to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. This is God's word. Will you pray with me and for me as we ask God to come and talk to us? Let's pray. God, thank you for this gift of grace to be together this morning. uh, This time of worship that that we set aside to um, encounter you, to experience you, to hear from you. We believe this is your word. When we open it and we try to be faithful to it, you speak to us through it. So God, would you come talk to us this morning? Help us really understand our role in this world, what you have called us to as Christians, that we might worship you with our lives. And we pray it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Please be seated. Now the star belly sneeches had bellies with stars, and the plain belly sneeches had none upon theirs. Those stars weren't so big, they were really so small. You might think such a thing wouldn't matter at all. But because they had stars, all the star belly sneeches. Would brag, we're the best kind of sneetch on the beaches. With their snoots in the air, they would sniff and they'd snort. We'll have nothing to do with those plain-bellied sort. And whenever they'd meet some, when they were out walking, they'd hike right on past them without even talking. Some of you recognize those opening lines from a lesser-known story by Dr. Seuss known as The Sneetches. It's a story about these yellow creatures that live on the beach and there's two groups of them. One has green stars on their belly and the other has no stars. The Green Star sneeches, they're the in crowd, why they have exclusive campfires, and they swim at exclusive beaches, they play exclusive games, while those without stars are not invited at all. As the story says, quote, they kept them away, never let them come near, and that's how they treated them year after year. You see, those without stars were what you might call outsiders. They were excluded, rejected, isolated from everybody else. Until one day, along comes a man by the name of Sylvester McMonkey McBean with his star-on machine. <laughs> and for $3, the Sneetches without stars can get Stars. And they jump at that opportunity. In fact, now all the Sneetches have stars. The problem is, those that originally had the stars, the in crowd, are now upset. And for $10, those green-starred Sneeches can have their stars removed. And back and forth and back and forth and on and on this goes until both groups have spent all their money and this becomes the reality neither the plane nor the star bellies knew whether this one was that one or that one was this one or which one was that one or what one was who (laughs) now if you're new at Berean this morning you need to understand that we are known around town for our deep theology Some of you are like the last sermon and you went with Dr. Seuss. Really? That's your ending? Now listen, I, I know that that's a kid's story. I know that that's a children's story. And yet the reality is every one of us knows that it's true about life. Namely, there's a thrill you get by being an insider. You're accepted, you're included, you belong, you're loved. And at the same time, there's a a fear, there's an agony of being an outsider, being alone, rejected, ignored, isolated from everybody else. C.S. Lewis speaks to this in a writing called The Inner Ring. Yes, I am transitioning from Dr. Seuss to C.S. Lewis. He writes, quote, Those on the inside take pride in having made it, while anxiously hoping not to lose their status. They immediately begin name-dropping, making sure everybody knows that they are now a part of the we that doesn't include the you. And those on the outside long to cross the invisible insider line, otherwise known as the inner ring. As long as you are governed by that desire, you will never get what you want. You're trying to peel an onion. If you succeed, there'll be nothing left. Until you conquer the fear of being an outsider, an outsider you will remain. You see, I don't know everything about you, but I know this about you, and I know this about me. There is something that we hate about feeling like an outsider. You know this. We don't like being left out of a conversation. We don't like the feeling of being left out of communication. We don't like not being included in the decision. We don't like not being accepted by the group. We don't like not being invited to the party. We don't like not being allowed to play the game. (laughs) The reality is every one of us hates the feeling of being on the outside looking in. And I need you to listen to me this morning. This is so important. My fear is that's why so many Christians have an identity crisis. Here's what I mean. Most of us, if we're honest, are working really hard at being insiders in the world When the Bible says that we are sojourners and exiles in the world, that by the very nature of our Christian faith, we are outsiders. And yet we're spending most of our time, money, and energy trying to be insiders, And so we have this identity crisis, and what we must do this morning is embrace the identity that we have of being outsiders, and not only embracing that identity, but embracing what comes with that identity, namely, often, persecution. At least, at a minimum, tension in the culture of which we live Russell Moore writes, and I quote, a Christianity without friction in the culture is a Christianity that dies. Such religion absorbs the culture until it is undistinguishable from it, until eventually a culture asks, what's the point of the whole thing? Our call is to an engaged alienation let me read that again. Our call is to an engaged alienation, a Christianity that preserves the distinctives of the gospel while not retreating from our call as neighbors, friends, and citizens. Close quote. You see, here's the fear this morning, is, is that even though God has called us to be outsiders, it's very easy to compromise our faith in order to become an insider in the world everybody lakeville sanctuary that is exactly why the book of hebrews was written by now you know the context some of you have the context memorized this book was written to hebrew christians they are being persecuted for their faith in jesus christ they're tempted to go back to judaism because judaism was accepted in the culture christianity was not And so the temptation they have is I can go back to Judaism and be an insider, or I can continue in my faith in Jesus and be an outsider. And the temptation is to blend in and be included. But the author wants them to know, you better listen up, Christian, is if you do that, you may find yourself included in the world and excluded from God. You may find yourself included in that group of friends, in that social network, but you may find yourself outside the kingdom of God. So, what you ought to do, Hebrew Christians and Christians today, is embrace. The ins- the outsider identity that is yours in Christ. And he does that by going back to a very common Old Testament practice. Verse 11. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned, underline this, outside the camp. Now that language isn't something that's really that familiar to us unless you know your Old Testament. That is the language of outside the camp. But but let me explain what these readers would have understood when that language gets used, okay? Uh, Israel in the Old Testament camped together. They lived together in tribes, okay? And so just imagine like camping with a lot of people. And God gives them some specific rules that order their society. And the reason he gives them these rules is because he wants to keep them alive. Now, we sometimes look back at all those rules in the Old Testament and think, well, those things aren't relevant to me at all. Well, even though we don't live by them today, they are relevant to us today. You want to know why? Say yes. Okay, I'm glad you want to know why. God gives these rules to sustain them as a society, to keep them alive, because from them is coming a a Messiah. His name is Jesus, and He is our Savior. And, And so those rules, the ordering of society, actually do matter to us, because they are the way in which God was bringing about our King Jesus. Now, What were some of those rules? Well, here was one specifically related to outside the camp. The rule was this. Anything that was unclean had to be taken outside the camp. Because after all, you don't want that spreading throughout the camp. It will kill everybody. So I'll give you examples. Animal remains, like it's mentioned here in Hebrews 13, that were left over after the sacrifices had to be taken, everybody say, outside the camp. Outside the camp. Secondly, people with diseases like leprosy that could spread and were contagious, they had to live, say it, outside the camp. Thirdly, if someone was going to be executed, they had to be executed where? Outside the camp so that dead bodies weren't just laying around in the camp. Lastly, you're going to be so glad you came to church this morning, human waste had to be taken Outside the camp. Because you don't want the outhouse right there next to your tent, do you? And so the point is that all these things were taken outside the camp as a way of protecting Israel. Now, it's pretty obvious to conclude at this point that the phrase outside the camp became known as a place of rejection. A place of the unclean a place that was unaccepted and isolated from everybody else. In other words, the last thing you wanted to be was an outsider. The last thing you'd want to be is outside the camp. Now bring it back into this context. Why is the author bringing this up? Because these Christians were being treated that way in Roman society. They were being treated like those outside the camp. Socially rejected, objects of persecution, mistreated, thrown in prison. Listen, they were treated like the human waste of society. And why? Why were they treated like something outside the camp? Because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Their faith in Jesus had placed them outside the culture. Rejected, shameful, disgraceful. Now, let me ask you this. Christian, I'm talking to you, Lakeville Sanctuary, everybody listen up. If you're a follower of Jesus, listen to me. Has your faith ever placed you on the outside of culture? Has your faith in Jesus Christ ever made you feel like an outsider? An outsider in your family? An outsider in the relationships at work. An outsider in the relationships at school. Has your faith ever made you feel like an outsider? Listen, listen, listen. If it hasn't, you're probably not a Christian. If it hasn't, you're probably not a Christian. You say, that's a pretty bold statement, buddy. Well, let me back it up. Look at Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, which is what we know as the Beatitudes. I've shown you this before in other contexts, but look at look at what Jesus teaches here in Matthew 5 in the Beatitudes. Follow along with me. Look at chapter 5 and verse 3. You'll notice it on the screen. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the everybody say it, kingdom of heaven. Now look at verse 10. Blessed are those who are what? persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the everybody say it, kingdom of heaven. Kingdom of heaven gets repeated in verse 3 and verse 10. You don't need to remember this. I've taught you this before. It's what's known as an inclusio. All it simply means is it's it's brackets, meaning all of these things go together. You don't get to say, well, I'll take these two and leave out those three. No, 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 no. They all are one. And what they do is they describe the Christian life, that is, a Christian is someone who realizes their poverty of spirit, and they mourn, they're broken over that, they are humbled and meek because of their sin, they cry out for a righteousness that's not their own, they hunger and thirst for it, they plead for mercy, they are pure in heart, that is, they have a single devotion to God, and they do the work of evangelism, that is, the work of peacemaking, and because they are faithful to what God has called them to do, in sharing the gospel they experience persecution for righteousness sake you don't get to pick and choose persecution at least at some level is normal in the Christian life which is why I say if you have never experienced persecution unless you just accepted Jesus yesterday you're probably not a Christian Think about what the New Testament teaches, for instance, to the church of Philippi. It has been granted to you that for your sake, uh, for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe but suffer for his sake. To the church at Thessalonica, we boast about you for your steadfastness in faith and all the persecutions and afflictions you are enduring. To the churches at Galatia, Cappadocia, and Asia, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you as though something strange were happening to you. To the church at Antioch, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. To young Timothy, Paul says, all who desire to live godly in Christ will be persecuted. Notice it on the screen. If you have never been persecuted at some level for Jesus, it simply means there isn't enough Jesus in your life to persecute. And I emphasize the phrase at some level. I'm not suggesting you're going to die a martyr's death. But I am suggesting this. Somebody say, preach, preacher. Thank you, Lakeville, and you guys too, right? (laughs) The only difference between your life, Christian, and a martyr, someone who dies for their faith, is geography. Meaning, the only reason you don't die for your faith is because you just don't live somewhere where Christians are killed for their faith. But there ought to be no different from you than another brother or sister living somewhere else in the world who does die because of their faith. The only difference is geography. And if we took you or me and placed us there, the same thing would be true for us. Faith in Christ will put you outside the camp. It will put you outside the culture. That's normal Christianity. Just read your New Testament and study most of church history. What's happening to you is not new. It's part of taking up a cross and following Christ. And you think, I'm so glad I came to church today. (laughs) What a way to end the series, Pastor. I know that's hard, but look at what he says next in verse 12. This is the encouragement. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Here's the flow of the passage. Please, please listen. Here's the flow of the passage. Hebrew Christians, do you remember how outside the camp was a place of disgrace, rejection, persecution? Oh, absolutely. We we know our Old Testaments. Of course we know that. And is that not kind of how you feel in Roman society? You better believe that's how we feel. Well, here's the good news. Guess where Jesus died? Outside the city outside the camp. In other words, Jesus died in the very place that you are put socially. There's two really big implications of this, okay? Jot these down. The first is a spiritual implication. The second is social. Here's the spiritual implication. Hang with me. The purpose of Jesus's death was to save the outsider. In other words... Notice the phrase, Jesus died to sanctify a people with his blood. Jesus died. I'm, <clears throat> Jesus died outside the city because sin had made us all outsiders. We were separated from God. We were outside of God, so he died outside the city. That is, he died in a place of the rejected for the rejected. He died of the, in the place of the unclean so that he could cleanse us from our sins. He died in the place of isolation so that he could bring us near to God. He died in the place of death so he could give us eternal life. While sin made us spiritual outsiders, Jesus died outside the camp to bring us near God. To God, And if you're a Christian today, you ought to just declare amen and hallelujah, for I once was an outsider spiritually, but I have been brought near because of Christ. And by the way, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, I'm so thankful that you're here. And I just want to be honest with you, based on the Word of God, the Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Your sin has placed you outside of God, but because Jesus died outside the city, if you would turn from your sin and put your faith in Jesus Christ, you could come close, you could draw near, you can have a relationship with God today. Amen? Amen. That's the good news of the gospel. That's the spiritual implication of Jesus dying outside the camp. But now there's a social implication of Jesus' death outside the camp, and it's this. The persecution of Jesus' life ought to encourage the outsider. In other words, has there been more of an outsider than Jesus? Socially? His life made him the ultimate outsider. Hello? He was taken outside the city and killed Because of the way he lived. He was rejected by society, rejected by the religious leaders, rejected by his own people. Do you see the implication, Christian? If Jesus' life took him outside the camp, and you're a follower of Jesus, where do you think you'll end up? Outside the camp. Outside the culture. John 15, verse 20 and 21 Jesus said, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Right here, Lakeville Sanctuary, everybody, watch the flow of the text. I'm not here to entertain you. I'm not here to make you laugh. I'm here to teach you the Word of God. Follow the flow of the text. Do you remember the Old Testament outside the camp? That place of rejection and shame and disgrace? Yeah, we know our Old Testament. And isn't that how you feel in Roman society? Yeah, that's exactly what we're going through right now. Well, be of good courage because Jesus died outside the city. Can you feel it? you just know there's a therefore coming. You know? It's like, you don't even have to know what's next in the text. You just can feel a big therefore. Verse 13. Therefore, there it is. Let us go to him outside the camp. And bear the reproach he endured. Why? For here we have no lasting city. We seek the city that is to come. The flow of the text is this In the Old Testament, life outside the camp was a place of rejection. Christian, you are feeling rejected by the culture because of your faith in Jesus. But you ought not be discouraged. You ought to be encouraged because Jesus died outside the city. Therefore, embrace and endure the suffering that comes to you because of your faith in Jesus Christ. Don't go back. Amen? Didn't mean to cut your your clapping off, all right? Don't go back. It'd be so easy just to blend in. It'd be so easy to just say, oh, I'll go back to Judaism and, and be an insider. And he's saying, no, 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 no. That's not your identity. That's not who you are. Embrace your outsider-ness for the glory of God. mean, you're not outside because you're a jerk for Jesus. That's a whole different thing. Oh, you know some of them, all right, okay? Don't, please, sir, don't point, okay? I'm, I'm just talking about you really love Jesus and your faith is real. And you just say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it's the power of God. And that testimony alone puts you outside the camp. And that testimony alone will bring tension and persecution in the world in which you live. And you embrace it. And you endure it. Because it's your call in life as you follow your Savior. Because the the, the path that you've got to decide, Christian the path that you've got to decide on is am I going to do my best to become an insider in the world or am I going to worship God by being an outsider? You say, where are you getting this worship God by being an outsider? The text. Verse 15. Through Him then... Let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise, worship, to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God." Here's the flow of the text, okay? That's why we're here. We want to hear from God, from His Word, and His Word is saying, you remember outside the camp? Yes, we understand that. And yes, that's how we feel in the culture. Be encouraged. Jesus died outside the city. Therefore, embrace and endure the reproach and suffering that's coming your way. And don't try to be an insider, but worship God by being an outsider. You with me? Now you might say, what does that look like? What do we do? Like, what are some of these sacrifices of praise, of this doing good that pleases God? Well, as I do a lot of reading for messages and series like this, a lot of people, myself included, struggle with the first seven verses of Hebrews 13 because it feels random. It's talking about this issue and then this issue and then that issue. And it's, it almost feels like the author's ending the book by just throwing out random bullet points unless you understand his main idea in the middle of the chapter. So now you with me? We can go back and see how he's calling them to be an outsider. What sacrifices of worship we can offer up to God by being an outsider in the world. And there's four main ones in the passage. I'll hit them just summary. Okay, we won't even read the verses. I'll give them to you and you can read them. Number one, be an outsider in ministry. What I mean by that is be an outsider in the way you minister to other people. In verses one through three, you go back and check me on this. You can read them. He mentions brotherly love, hospitality, and caring for those who are in prison. In other words, one of the ways that we are an outsider in the world is the way that we love and the way that we serve and the way that we minister particularly to those who are in need. Look at it on the screen. Insiders, that is those of the world, are consumed with self Outsiders, that is, those that belong to God, a part of the kingdom, are consumed with serving. Amen? In other words, do you want to look different than the world? Love the way Jesus loved. And trust me, you will be an outsider. And the way that you are generous in your serving and helping people who are in need of comforting those who are afflicted. Listen, the way that you do ministry is going to be a fragrance of Christ in the world. They're going to look at you and the way that you love and say, you are not from around here, are you? And you say, no, I belong to a different kingdom. The kind of kingdom that sacrifices self for the sake of others. You see, if you really want to be an outsider, maybe you should stop screaming at the person on the other side of the political aisle and actually cross it and love your enemy. And serve that person who's not like you or doesn't believe the same things that you do. I'm not talking about compromising your convictions. I am saying serving in the name of Christ. It kind of sounds like what Jesus said, for they will know your mind that you love one another. Be an outsider in the way that you minister to one another. Here's the second thing, is be an outsider not just in ministry, but be an outsider morally. You read it for yourself. Verse 4 speaks of sexual immorality. In Roman culture it was full of sexual promiscuity. You could have whatever you wanted any time you wanted it sexually. Here's the point the author is making. Notice it on the screen. Insiders, that is those of the world, are driven by their desires. Outsiders, those that are Christians who have faith in Christ, are driven by God's design. Listen, faith family, a Christian view of sexuality will most definitely put you outside the culture. That's a good place for an amen. I know it gets awkward when we start talking about practical life, doesn't it? And we're in a culture right now, very confused sexually. Even where Christians are willing to compromise the design of God. The reality is, faith family, is that we become outsiders when we hold to God's design. That we are outsiders not just in the way that we love, but in the way that we live. And that means that we must be willing to not compromise in what God has said. Thirdly, not just being an outsider in ministry or morally, but thirdly, being an outsider financially. You can read it on your own, verses 5 and 6. He mentions materialism and contentment. Materialism and money and contentment. Here's the point. Insiders those of the world are consumed with gain it's always more 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 and bigger 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 but outsiders though that belong to the kingdom are content with god we're not consumed with gain we're content with god now since this doesn't apply to american culture i'm going to move on to the fourth point <laughs> check yourself hear your pastor I believe the Bible gives you the freedom to enjoy nice things. I believe if God has given you the blessing of making money and and having things, you don't need to feel guilty for that. Are you hearing me? Get rid of that evangelical guilt. But at least ask yourself what kingdom are you really investing in? What kingdom are you really investing in? Is the approach of your finance consumed in gain or content in God? Are you willing to maybe do with less because you're content in God so that you might invest more in kingdom purposes? All I'm saying is this. If you are really content in God, you'll be outside the culture. And the way you use your money. Amen. 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 Be an outsider financially. Here's the last one Be an outsider. Worship God through the life of an outsider with authority. That is, towards authority, how you relate to authority. In verses 7 and 17, you go read it and check me out. He mentions submission to authority, particularly church leadership. Here's the idea. Insiders, those that belong to the world, stand up for themselves. Outsiders, those that belong to the kingdom, submit to others. I mean, just think about the way our culture responds to authority. We rebel against authority, we complain about authority, not in the church. Let me just let that land, all right? We question authority. Look at me, but Christians still believe, don't we, that God has ordained authority. I am blown away at the way Christians speak about authority. I don't care if you don't agree with their political views or the changes that they make in the church or or the decisions that your parents made. If the authority is not calling you to sin, your worship to God is submit. That rubs you the wrong way, doesn't it? So I guess you're going to have to decide if you're American or if you're Christian. Because one of the ways you will most certainly Show yourself an outsider is when everybody else at school and everybody else is at work is running down the parent or the boss and you refuse to enter in. And you say, I may not like the decision they make. I may not even agree with them. But God has put them in a position of authority over me and I will submit Because I care about worshiping God who has ordained authority in my life. (laughs) You talk about being an outsider. You go apply that this week. (laughs) Are you tracking with me, faith family? There's the flow of the text. Do you remember the outside, the camp in the Old Testament? You better believe that place of disgrace and shame and rejection. That's how you feel sometimes in the culture. You better believe it. Be encouraged, Jesus died outside the camp. Your outsider status is your call as a Christian. To not turn back, but to press forward in your faith. And to not work so hard at becoming an insider in the world, but to offer up worship to God by being an outsider in these ways. Would you take time this morning, Faith Family, to think about the role God has for you in the world? Why has God put you where He's put you? I can tell you this. Listen up. He has not put you in the world or at that job or at that school or in that family so that nobody knew whether this one was that one or that one was this one or which one was that one or what one was who. No. He has placed you where he's placed you to live by faith in God, even if that means suffering for God. You have a calling in this world, and it is to live by faith. After all, that is the very life of our Savior, a life that in his suffering continued to trust the Father, a life that was taken outside the culture and persecuted and killed, and yet through it all, his was a life that never turned back. And because Jesus never turned back, Christian, guess what? You may find yourself an outsider in the world, but know this. You are an insider in the kingdom of God. So say it with your lips and live it with your lives, the words of that old hymn. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back. That faith family is the book of Hebrews. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Will you pray with me? Will you pray with me? God, this is such a hard message to hear, and yet it is one we need to hear So many of us are having an identity crisis. We are trying so hard to be insiders when you've called us to be outsiders. Just because of our faith, because of the way that we love, because of the way that we live, because we are not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that alone, that testimony alone will put us outside of the culture. Help us, help us today embrace that help us embrace the therefore go to him outside the camp endure the reproach that may come but know that in doing so you are pleasing god because you trust him god strengthen our faith the truth is, we could sit here and talk about Hebrews living in a Roman society, and we know good and well that this applies to us living in this society, right here, right now. That many in this place are facing that temptation today of just turning back and being accepted by the world rather than staying the course and enduring in faith. Encourage us, O oh God, strengthen our faith today to persevere and to run to Jesus outside the camp. If there is somebody here today that spiritually is outside because of their sin, I pray as we declared a few moments ago that they would turn from their sin and put their faith in Jesus. And because Jesus died outside the camp, they today can come near to God. God, you know every need, every life, every situation should just talk to us, speak to us from your word. Tell us what what you want for our lives. Come and meet us here, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.